<sighs> it is nice to be here. The sigh says it all. How's your day? Good. Sort of. Yeah? Ish. Busy. It's good. Good busy. It's good. I mean, you can gauge how busy I am and I with you if our responses via text. It's like... Yeah, when we're down to like not even one word, we're like, <laughs> we're texting guttural sounds like, ooh. Yes, ooh? yes. And yeah. I always feel bad. I, I just... Oh, don't feel bad on my account. I know, you don't care. I don't even read your text. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, that's fine. It's not true. Um, no, but I know that we're both in uh, very engaged spaces because we've had a more challenging time getting together for uh, these purposes. I know, it's wild. It's been good stuff though. Yeah, I think it's we're in the valleys of death, but in a good way. It's like we're growing. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Have you done your taxes? I don't know. <laughs> oh gosh, Janice, help! Will you answer that question for me? Wow, I, I, you know, there's just comes a point when they get really, really messy, and you just pass it off, it's, and you just assume. Uh, listen, I have no room to talk. While you're talking, I'm going to send an email. If that's okay, I really now I'm nervous because it is 100 percent out of my jurisdiction. I'm really nervous now. In my family and business, says Joy is 100 percent in charge of that, and I have. Nothing but utter faith. But I mean, basically, I'm there just to be supportive and answer questions here and there. She does it all. Oh, I just sent that. I don't know. I don't know what you just said, but I just sent a text about. I think you were talking about how Joy does everything yeah. in regards to taxes because that's yeah. not your well, finances. world. Finances. Well, yeah, I just, yeah, I can't do it. But one plus one is two. Good. You're good. You can file. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm decent with numbers uh, because I have a calculator on my phone. Right. <laughs> But uh, it's that it's not that it's just the specifics of like QuickBooks and alternating between businesses and doing expenses and categorizing expenses and reconciling QuickBooks Ugh. with your bank. I mean, it's like it's awful. She's really good at it. Though. I'm not. I I just I don't. Is it okay that I don't want to be good at that? Yes, of course okay, it is. I, I don't want to either. I need to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. In the event that I would need to step up and do that, um, but I really don't want to. Well, I feel like home. I'm just going to hand it off to an accountant and say, you know, could you do this for us? You go home today, and Joy's like, you know what, Jay, I, I, I just, I don't want to do that anymore for you. So here you go, you handle this. That's <laughs> like no, that's a very high probability. <laughs> I mean, Joy could literally at the drop of a hat be like, you know what, I love you, but I'm yeah. not helping you in this. Yes. Oh, yeah, and then we're doomed. Don't even think, I don't think for a second that that could happen because I do. She likes it. She's really good at it and she's happy now because she's on this end of it. Yeah. And we looked back and we filed, I mean, we submitted our information to our accountant yesterday. It was March 24th of 2018. And so she's right on right on target. We're never those early filers. Like people are like January 3rd, file my taxes. <laughs> Like, well, that's good for you. Yeah. Not going to do it. Yeah. Why would I do that? I have plenty of time. <laughs> Mr. Procrastinator. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I am. I think that was my middle name, Nathan P. Morris. That's good. I didn't yeah. know that's what the P stood for. Mm-hmm. That clarifies some things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am Nathan P. Morris. I am Jonathan the Taxman Carroll. And you are you, and we are grateful that you are here. It is episode number 58. I don't know. <laughs> this is You'll Die Trying. I do know that. Yes, it is. Welcome, everyone.
Tiger Woods just sunk a putt. Have you been watching uh, sports on TV? Nope. Okay. It was just a golf clap. It was like, let's come out of the... I didn't know if you were watching some PGA thing and you got into the... No. Quiet, please. The Nathan on Green 3. The only time I turn it on the golf channel is whenever I want to take a nap. Yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> that noise, it sounds awesome. Oh, the commentator's voices are incredible. They're so that quiet. The, yes, it just like the air. If you were going to be a commentator for any sport and the network was going to select you for that sport, what sport would they select you for? Oh, here comes Soccer. Yeah. Football. Why do we not call it football? I don't know. Why are we weird? And why do they call it the World Series if they're just playing the baseball game in the United States of America and they're just United States teams? That's true because there are other countries who have baseball. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Is the Little League World Series also only national? No. The Little League World Series is international. It doesn't make sense to me. Silly. Come on. Have you ever been to a professional uh, soccer game? No. No, but I, I would love to. Me too. I would Me love too. to. Nashville has a team. Uh, do they? Yep. What are they called? Uh, I'm going to assume they're called something with music, like sounds. What? Okay. Maybe that's the, the Nashville Sounds. May, I'm going to Google it. Because the hockey team is the Predators. The football team is the Titans. There's no baseball team, although there's a triple-A team there. Oh, they might be the Sounds. I think that's the baseball team, the Nashville Sounds. I think it's like a triple or maybe even a double-A team. I could be way wrong because it says right here that they're not Nashville SC? Yeah. Soccer club? Yeah. Oh. That's it. (laughs) Because in Europe, they're like FC. Wait, here's the Nashville Sounds. There is a Nashville Sounds, but I don't know what this is. See, it's right here. I think it's baseball. That's yeah, baseball. It's, okay. I think it's probably double A baseball. Okay. You, if you have come here for like a sports hey, podcast, you're, you're gone. A. You're gone. Mike Gross would know that. Well, he's not here. Nope. He was. He's listening, though. Hey, Mike. <laughs> so you said that you wanted to uh, to have a little a little chat today. Well, yeah, because you're leaving and you're going away. You're going temporarily. It doesn't matter. Okay. And I was thinking that got me thinking about like codependency because I mean maybe I can't say I'm not but I'm codependent of having you around and now then I started thinking about codependency with work then Mm -hmm. I started thinking about codependency with life and there are a lot of people in this world who are codependent of each other and they have to have each other to be reliant on each other for people to exist so I'm just wanted to really touch base on that because I really think that a lot of people can get something out of it I don't even know where to start though by the way well it is a reality in many, many a relationship, especially marriages, especially marriages that have been uh, going on for a long time, although not necessarily just that. But it, you can imagine if you're 70 years old and you've been in a marriage for you know, 45 years that you will have come to expect your spouse to predictably perform in a certain way. And oftentimes that is to do something for you. And after all those years, you probably quit being grateful. You start taking things for granted, and then you just assume, and then now you predict, and now you need. And when the other person uh, isn't able to provide, it causes some problems. I think I've mentioned before, previous episode, a couple that I worked with clinically once where the man was alcoholic, the woman was uh, a chatter. Remember I talked about this? He did, and yes. He dried up. She got sick. He started drinking. She got well. Ultimately, she, he died. But it's, uh, it's very sad, and that's a, that's a clinical and very chronic case of 
codependence. If you want to read about this, there's an author who's written two really good books. Her name is Melody Beatty. First book and an older book is called Codependent No More. The subsequent book in a much more recent volume is called The New Codependent. At the end of the day, codependency requires two people, hence the co. So I couldn't be codependent on you and you not be codependent on me. Right. So together we kind of we would be completing that circuit. However, the circuit is this kind of very small closed caption cyclical kind of sickness that yields us both um, dependent on one another, less obviously independent, and as a result, much more needy. And relationships that are comprised of that kind of neediness or needfulness end up being very um, intense. So I need from you, you need from me. That that kind of uh, dynamic generates an energy, if you can imagine it being like an electrical energy. And the more I need, the more you need. And so I've got my hands and my fingers are now interlocking and I'm shaking. Like that's that's how I imagine it pictographically, how a relationship mm-hmm. happens. It becomes very intense, very agitated. And in our world, in the therapeutic world, we call that relationship anxiety. The secret to dissolving that codependency and improving yourself and your relationship is available for you at 1995 at W. No, the secret to that is to develop a stronger, more stable, more solid sense of self within the context of your relationship. A 70-year-old's not going to be able to do that, though. Well, what's interesting is I'm working with some of them, and they are doing it. Okay, well. Because the assumption is an old dog can't be taught new tricks, but it isn't true. Old dogs absolutely can be taught new tricks. And a 70-year-old person, of course, is not an old dog by any stretch. They are a human being with complex thinking and the ability to uh, expand horizons and challenge themselves. And I'm amazed at some of the people that I'm having a privilege of walking alongside and talking with every week um, where they are. I mean, somebody said today, after a conversation about precisely this, which is so interesting that you brought this up because it's it's been my day today. And uh, one of those people said today, you know, this is going to be difficult because the pattern we're in is the pattern we've been in for four decades. And uh, we can do this. Hmm. I was like, good for you. That's all it takes is that kind of positive can-do, stick-to-it kind of attitude that says, okay, just because I've been operating a certain way forever doesn't mean I can't make adjustments. And I believe they will. What about the people that are on the outside but recognize codependency and how do you work alongside, walk alongside, love alongside these people? Can you give me an example? Mm, I I just, I think I'm going to just keep it general uh, because I just... I think there are a lot of people that struggle with it mm-hmm. in different areas and angles. And uh, do you mean being on the outside and seeing seeing so many people? Two other people? Yeah, just mm-hmm. so many people that are in my life. Sure, uh, but even not necessarily in mine and in yours who are listening. You're seeing these people that are like, "Oh my God, there's like something happening here. There's like a pattern." How do you? How do you? I don't know. Work with, walk with. My best thinking about that is that if it doesn't belong to me. There's probably nothing I can do to directly impact that. How do you, okay, that's easy to say. Okay, so how do you put that into place? Because you say that, uh, 
I'm sitting here thinking very deeply right now because you said we talk about how if whatever people think about me is none of my business, but like yes. if that's not mine, if I don't give anybody power, power, you know that kind of thing. So right. it's hard to to put that into play all the time, man. Why do you think that's true? No, I mean I don't disagree. But I don't know. Why is I, it hard for you? I've asked myself that question before, and I'm not sure the answer. Did you say self? Why is this hard for you? I didn't say it like that. Oh, maybe I've, that's the difference. Maybe you have to actually talk to yourself. I, I've thought in my head, why? Why is this so difficult? Self, why is this so difficult? There you go. Now we're talking. I don't, I don't have the answer. Well, <clears throat> I think something that you said earlier might be a clue. And you said, you know, some 70-year-old person married forever, they're not going to be able to do that. And maybe that's a part of our assumptions is... I'm assuming? We may make assumptions based on our observations. Maybe you know a lot of people in that age group that you don't see working on themselves, right? I have to tell you, though, I have... I'm going to say about 5% of my census is made up of people 70 and older. Wow, I would have never thought that. Maybe even more. I would have never thought that. I would have thought it was uh, a lot of my age, 30s. And and, and there are. Uh, I would assume that would take most of it. There are plenty, but there are a lot of people kind of in that 40 to 60 range too because, of course, you know, these are career professionals and and are they believe in the value of working on self and they believe in investing in that because that's, that's part of it, you know, is that when you're when you're exchanging that hard earned money into the hands of another person for a service rendered you're investing in that and it means you're going to pay a closer kind of attention you're going to take note you're going to work in between sessions you know doing the kind of maybe suggested work and you're going to uh, challenge yourself because you're literally and emotionally invested mm-hmm um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I do have a, a large portion of my census that would fit into your age group too. But 5 to 8% being in their 70s or older, I mean, that's pretty awesome when you think about this it. This is a lot about somebody wanting to change even even in later in life. My next question though is, is codependence bad? Because I always think of it as like this, I, I don't know. I feel like someone who is codependent of the other, I don't know that that's a good thing. I look at it as bad. <clears throat> well, you know how I would respond to that, right? Yeah. That rather than think about it in terms of good or bad, I want to think about it in terms of how it functions. And more often than not, I find codependency functioning to increase anxiety and stress in relationship systems and therefore individuals in those systems. I don't think that it's very liberating for people. Right. And I'm interested in liberation and transformation. Mm-hmm. I want people to feel free and feel changed. And ultimately, that's up to them. But when you're in a, a long-standing relationship there, that's uh, indicative of some codependent uh, traits and characteristics, it, it takes an act of deep bravery and courage to be able to challenge those long-standing dynamics. But again, totally not impossible. Just Sometimes you just need somebody to kind of counsel and coach you through it, and that's, that's what I love to do. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it's good or bad. I don't think that it's... Um, <clears throat> healthy. Yeah, I definitely think codependency is an unhealthy model for 
relationship systems. It's a, it's a way to kind of create balance, you think, but ultimately it puts your relationship in disequilibrium. We think it brings comfort, but really it brings us into an agitated intimacy. It's like when I was in college. We camped a lot. My senior year, I think we slept more on, on the Appalachian Trail than we did in our That's so cool. dorm room. And we would hike various sections, friends of mine and I, uh, during things like Easter and other breaks. Uh, we I've never hiked the entire AT, but I have hiked little teeny sections Trail. of it. And we ran into these people once who were in one of these kind of trail-provided shelters. It's literally like a lean-to with a floor up off the ground and a bunch of people just in there in sleeping bags. And these guys were, were drinking alcohol out of flasks. And they offered it to us. Yeah, no thanks. They were like, oh, God, you got to have it warm. It's freezing out here. It was like 20 degrees. It really warmed you up. What they don't know is that while it feels warm going down, it's actually constricting their capillaries causing their core body temperature to drop. So while codependency feels good, it is constricting the circulation of the relationship, causing you to be very intense and causing the core temperature of your love for one another to drop. That's a great analogy. It, it even happens in the work. I mean, it's, it's very much a workplace thing too. I uh, received a text the other day and the text was, can you come and help? And then they told me the situation via text. They knew the answer. Mm-hmm. But they knew that I was within close proximity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, yes. And so uh, it deliberately did not assist them, mm-hmm. uh, told them what they already knew, mm-hmm. and they handled the situation. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I don't know how we are to train or or from a work perspective. Or I don't know how we're supposed to combat that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the question to ask there, because typically we, will, we would look at that and we would say, okay, what do we need to do to that staff person to inspire a more independent right. perspective and a more independent approach, a more disciplined, independent approach to work? I think, though, that that aim is misguided because I think we're always better to begin the reformation and transformation with ourselves. So I believe self-reflection, self-criticism, a healthy sense of what criticism means, like serious, thoughtful engagement, not like negativity. And um, I think that's always the place to start. So let me ask you, how do you think you contribute to that? Well, I know for a fact you've been talking to me about this for months, and I brought it up in previous podcasts. I I have been Mm. here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And willing, I'll, I'll help. I'll help. I'll help. I'll help. And now I've taken a step back mm-hmm. on the balcony, and <clears throat> they it's just going to have to be a relearned thing for them. Yeah. So I've I've contributed. It's on me on that. Yeah, a man named Ron Heifetz wrote a book in which he talked about this what this thing that you just alluded to the balcony work, and uh, it's really uh, challenging to step out of those old patterns that feel very familiar and comfortable and workable. And to come up and look down and say, oh, I see how I've been functioning. I can see how that's not that's been maybe chopping off at the knees the organization's efficiency possibilities. So I'm going to do something different. But you know, when we do something different, people react to that, right? Because they're not used to that new way because they've become accustomed to, in the case that you just provided, you stepping in to help. And when you don't, they're like, oh, gosh, is Nathan mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Gosh, I really liked it when he would help when I asked. I wish he would change back. It's those same change back responses we talked about in a previous episode. You're wrong. 
I liked you better the old way, change back or else. These are the things we hear when we've begun to affect some change in relationships and in our own functioning. People will think, gosh, she's not, it's not helping anymore. It feels like a rejection to them when really all you're doing is standing still and empowering them to take care of themselves. Hmm. So I think, you know, this is what highlights the fact that we're all still, to some extent, um, underdeveloped children, emotionally speaking. And we really need a lot of affirmation. We need a lot of um, emotional care. We need, you know, we're still bartering and negotiating and navigating and jockeying for uh, for acceptance and approval, uh, admiration even. If we could just push pause on all of that and say, you know what, I know what I'm here to do. I know how to do it. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to ask for help only when I need it, but I am going to ask for it when I need it. I'm going to be available if someone, you know, thinks that they need it as well. And I'm just going to focus on on me and my own functioning. The golden and silver rules play all the time. I tell the kids this all the time. If you would just pay attention to the golden rule. And my daughter was like, what's the golden rule? It's like, oh, failed as a parent. So I said it and said it and said it and had them say it and say it, say it back again, repeat, repeat, repeat until it became muscle memory, right? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. That plays. The silver rule, don't do for others what they should do for themselves. That place too. That rule right there protects you from codependency. And not worry if they think that you're mad at them or whatever, when in all reality you are you know, sitting still. That I love that. I love that to visual. That, that previous rule, you can't let fear of what other people are thinking about you interrupt your functioning. So what am I supposed to do while you're gone? Just sit here and wait for you? I mean, I think so. I think if I were to say yes, that's what I want you to do. That would demonstrate my codependency of me. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm I'm excited to see what that's you uh, what you read and what you um, do to challenge your your own thinking. And I'll read every one of your texts. Okay. Good. I'll send. We'll send pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also interested to hear how you know business uh, flows. How uh, relationship systems improve? I mean, gosh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful yeah, for y'all. It'll be it'll be fine. I, I'll just sit and on the perch and cry for the first half a day. You know, I don't know what is going on with me today, uh, but I've been scratching this eye the entire podcast. It just really itches. Do you think you have a scratched lens? Or a detached retina. I, I hope it's not a. Why am I laughing at that? Oh, <laughs> detached retina would be funny. Better not have any of the that. I paid a lot of money for these eyes. Yeah, you know, because you had the surgery, didn't you? Yeah, they reformed my stuff. Whatever that means. The, right. With the laser. Yeah. Yeah. LASIK. No. ASA. I don't know what that means. I don't either, but apparently the Air Force pilots have it. It's like they shoot a bunch of laser beams in your eyes and like reform your cornea. Maybe? So that you can fly so I'll be able to, Yeah, so I'll be able to fly F-16s and, you know, <laughs> actually, jokes aside, thank you to our men and women in uniform and the military who take yes. care of us, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to ever... I walked up to a man on Saturday sitting at the, uh, the bar of this restaurant that we were at. It was called Cork and Cleaver, which was actually really good. The men- menu was on the cleaver. So Is you that pass- a chain? I don't know. I don't. Th- it didn't feel chainy. It felt very like... Uh, very homey and and you know you could tell this guy was very invested in his restaurant so I don't know uh, however I walked up to a man he had an army sh- hat on and you could tell he's probably Vietnam 
And I said, thank you for your service. He goes, oh, son, did you serve too? And I said, no, I'm just grateful for you. And his eyes lit up like, holy mm-hmm. crap. You know, you have, you have respect and reference. You know, I, I thought two things uh, recently. One, I saw uh, an Hispanic man wearing a disabled American veteran hat. And I felt so sad that here this, this gentleman is who is uh, of Latina ethnic background, Latino ethnic background, and wearing a disabled American veteran hat, uh, and then, you know, probably fears, um, you know, being pulled over because of the color of his skin or whatever. Like, I really, that worried me. And then the other thing uh, that I thought was, um, it's going to come back to me. Did you did, did you just have a Nathan moment? It's when somebody said recently, and, and it really hit me, when you say, you know, thank you. For, oh, it's in this new show called The Village that just started. Uh, I don't know what network it's on, but I watched it on Hulu. We, Joy and I watched the first episode. And this man comes back from Afghanistan, and he sustained an injury. He lost a leg, so he's on a new prosthetic. He is uh, on crutches. And um, he comes up to these three uh, older vets in a bar, and they all stand up and salute him. And he's really struggling, like, with his identity. And each of them salutes him. Each of them says, you know, I'm corporal this, I'm staff sergeant this. And, and they're making him kind of feel like, like own his, his identity as an American veteran. And he's like, I'm just so used to people saying thanks for your service, like they're, you know, like they're ordering a drink at a drive-through. So was it bad that I said that to him and no, I looked no, him in no, the no, eyes? No. And- no, it just generated in me a reminder, like what you did is is a beautiful thing, and that's something that that that's the only time that has happened to that man, probably, if not ever, then at least in a long time. Yeah. So I think it does take these people by surprise, and I know that when you, I'm imagining that when you say it, you say it with gusto. Absolutely. You know? And uh, I think that's really important that we kind of take into consideration when we speak that we have all the emotional robustness behind what we're saying that we can muster that really kind of fills out the meaning of what it is we're trying to say. Yeah. So, but I think that's lovely. I just feel that there's a lot of change happening in the air right now. You know, talking about uh, the codependence topic that we've just discussed was something that was on my mind just because I think I'm witnessing it a lot. I don't, mm-hmm. I could be, I could be codependent on things or people. Uh, I haven't acknowledged it within myself, so I'm not going to sit here and figure that out this, this episode, but just a lot of stuff is changing, you know? Do you interpret your context, your immediate daily surroundings to be imbued with some negativity? Some, uh, some meaning very minimal. Yes, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not as not a lot. First, you know, if you date back to whenever I first started in yeah. the business, tons everywhere. It was just like I, every breath I took, it was like smoking a cigarette of negativity. <laughs> because people around you hadn't bought in. No one bought in, and then just a bunch of grumpy old men. And most people have. Most, yeah, most everyone's bought in. And that feels good. How do you wish to address the negativity when you experience it? What needs to be said? Do you think? I think what, spe- what can be heard. I, I think you address address negativity with positivity. I don't think you live on a cloud of rainbows and unicorns. I, I always go to that. I was just that's just perfect. Have you ever seen the movie The Last Unicorn? 
I think I've talked about this too, maybe. Maybe I'm just dreaming. Maybe everything that I'm saying, maybe I'm in a dream. There are people <laughs> who believe that we live in a simulation. Ooh, that'd be weird. I know of someone who thinks that. Like legit? Yeah. Well. The Matrix. What What was I talking about? Rainbows and unicorns. That's right. Negativity. Negativity. How to address it. How to address it. Here we go. I think that it's good to speak. I mean, acknowledge it. You know, don't tiptoe around people or, you know, hey, I... I I'm sorry that you're there. It's regrettable, rather that you're there. We just don't. We don't need that. Let's 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 get over that. Why do you think people who tend to have a negative valence are received as some others by as being intimidating? Intimidating. I don't know that answer. I know it's true though. Mm-hmm. I wonder why we give such power to that that shadow side of things. Shouldn't. Why aren't we... Well, I don't know what the positive opposite of intimidated is. I think maybe admire could be it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But I do know that people who are negative tend to suck the air out of a room. Mm -hmm. And I think that people tend to not want to say anything to them about it for fear of lash out because those people have created landmines around them and everybody knows to step very carefully. I just step now. Just walk normally. I just walk normally now. If it blows up, it blows up. Totally fine. Doesn't affect me. That's good. You help me with that. I mean, that's just, you just got to, I mean, there's way too much. And, and I'm speaking personally for those of you listening. I mean, there are so many people that are reliant on decisions and I can't be walking around on eggshells. I do, I make decisions. I'm very confident in those decisions and then the people in which I decide to do the things. And, you know, if you've got a problem with it, you can either stay on the boat, in the boat, on the saddle, in the saddle. That's it. Dang it. Or you can just go and, you know, wait for the train. Mm-hmm. There's so many different. <laughs> so much going on There was right so there. much going on right now. You could be in a boat. You could be in a saddle. You could be on, on a train. I like mixing metaphors. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Make like a tree and. All buns. Yeah. Is there something uh, in the next 30 days uh, to which you are looking forward? Absolutely. Like any minute now, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like just watching for an email to come through. So still nothing yet. Waiting, no. waiting for the call. Yes, the two calls. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. This is exciting. Yeah, I, you know, there's a show... It, there's a show that came out in 2012. I think it's on Amazon right now streaming. It's uh, The Men Who Built America or The Men Who Made America. I don't know, but it follows like Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and Rockefeller and Carnegie and all these people. Pee Wee Herman? No, not him. He didn't okay. build. He No, he did not. He tore down. He tore, <laughs> he tore down. La, uh, la, 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 la. Rockefeller, who actually this book scaling up that I keep referring to that I'm pointing to right now, actually it has the Rockefeller habits. The dude was... Brilliant. So at 25, he had taken a refinery. He realized that kerosene, which was helping with like lanterns and building and creating light in the in the dark, and he he knew how to um, refine it so that it was pure, so that it didn't have such uh, dangerous effects. He went from uh, struggling at 25 to a multi-millionaire, which was actually at that time billions, worth billions at by 33. Mm-hmm. That's the age that I am now. He was a devout Christian man. However, he was ruthless. Get out of my way. And it just inspired me. Mm. Inspired me. He did not He did not care. 
Like if you were not on his team, then everyone was out to get him. And he knew it and he wasn't fearful of it. He just went and he just attacked. You were either for him or against him. 100%. And if you were against him, you were in the sights. 100%. He would go and he would buy refineries up, just buy them and then shut them down. Wow. Because they were competition to him. He went to the railroad. He went to Vanderbilt and he started putting his kerosene on the, on the cars. Well, then he wanted less money yeah. per, per car. And Vanderbilt, because Vanderbilt owned over 40% of the railways, Okay. It's incredible. So what he did, Rockefeller, went to Vanderbilt's competitor, put all of his kerosene on his cars. Well, then Rockefeller got it on there for less. So then the two railroad competitors had to get together to even survive. Rockefeller said, you know what? The heck with you guys. And he built a pipeline system, <laughs> totally cutting out the railroad. The middleman, yeah. Yep. Actually shut one of those businesses down because of it. <laughs> This is like the uh, Walmart business model where Walmart went to, uh, to Vlasic Pickles. I think it was Vlasic. Is that the one that says, Pickles, make your smile? It's like a bird. Yeah. And they went to the Vlasic Pickle Company and they said, we need you know, a jug. I don't know if that's a gallon or whatever. I'm yeah. holding my hands like big I'm holding jar. a big pickle jar. I need this much and we need it for this much. And they're like, okay, we can do that. And so they signed a contract with them. At the end of that contract, they're like, okay, great. So, you know, what? speaking of codependency, Vlasic ended up having so much dependency on that Walmart contract. Walmart knew that. Walmart came to them and said, okay, now we need to make this same amount and we need to do it for like half the price. And they're like, like we literally cannot do it for that. And they said, sorry, it's that or nothing. There's no more Vlasic pickles. Hmm. They're gone. So ate them up. Come in, make a contract, work the deal, create dependency, cut the price, kills them. Rockefeller was doing verbal agreements. Oh, he was yeah. shaking hands. Yeah. He, was like, he was like, I'll get the contract worked up. This was obviously a reenactment, and he said, no need. A handshake is fine. Wow. Yeah. And did that serve him well? Served him well. Yeah. Man, it, it just— Not so much anymore. He's— Deceased. No, I mean that that idea. Oh, well, he's dead too. But the idea, <laughs> the idea definitely, of the handshake you, you, you is literally. But I also think uh, you know it would be nice. But it would be, but it is also nice to continue to honor your word because without your word, you have nothing. You know, your word is good yeah, as gold, and yeah. all that stuff. And I think in business, that's super important. I just am really inspired right now. And for those of you who are really business minded and like love business, I think you can become a very good business person, but you have to have something. That's already in you, yeah. You know, and uh, I feel that I'm I, I'm a good businessman, and I have. But anyway, for those of you who are, that's a whole other other podcast. But uh, if you're interested, please watch that because it's like I was in bed last night watching this, and I could not sleep. And let me ask: Is it all men that were that were on this? Is it literally? Is it one episode or is it a series? It's, and it's a called series. The men that built it's the men. It, this following men. But you know these are in the late 1800s, yeah, uh, early 1900s. Henry Ford and and haven't got to that episode yet. At, however, this is whenever women were probably not listened to and expected to be at home carrying you know so the maddening. burdens of that. Yeah, think about what we missed and how far we might would have come by now. Had I think this. we're catching up because of it though. Now I don't know. I don't know that we ever will. It's kind of like the Atlanta. Interstate infrastructure. They built Spaghetti Junction 285, 85, 20, 75, all right there in downtown Atlanta. And it was obsolete the day they 
started it. That's how fast growth was happening. And I kind of feel like I don't think that we'll ever catch up because of the the damage done. Yeah. Well, they, nonetheless, the the inspiration for for me in regards to that is very exciting. And I think we can apply that in the world that we're in. So the book Scaling Up mm-hmm. does I'm 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 trying to course my way through a book. I mentioned it once before, and I put it down to read something I, I got for Christmas, and I'm I'm wanting to pick it back up after that. Called the One Million Dollar One Person Business. So I haven't read enough to be able to speak with any degree of intelligence or cogency on it. But do you think that scaling up speaks to businesses of all kinds? Yes, for all kinds of businesses that want to not settle. So like 85 or something nuts, 87%, something crazy. Less than 20% of American businesses exceed $1 million in revenue annually. That's crazy. Yeah. And only like less than 5% exceed $100 million. So my point is, is there's there's so much out there for the taking. Yeah, there's money on the table. Yeah. So what is our... What's the genre that our podcast is categorized in? I don't in? know, people. <laughs> I don't either, because I was asked that, and I said, I really don't know. Yeah. Like, I thought it was business, but I feel if like it it's is... it's just life. It's lifestyle. Right. That's what I, I don't... I didn't know. I don't know the answer to the question, and I don't, I don't know. know how we find that out other than look it up on anchor.fm yeah. or slash you'll die trying. Or you'll die trying.com or facebook.com forward slash you'll die trying. Or you'll die trying podcast on Instagram or you'll die trying podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, I don't know where we would find. Yeah, I don't know. I've, maybe if they, those of you listening, would leave a five star review on your listening device. Maybe then we would know. Maybe we would definitely know by then. Yeah. Or if you would text message the link to listen to this episode or more. Or if you saw uh, a, a link um, pop up on your social media site and you liked it or shared it, or yeah, I think we would probably find out then too. Yeah. So there are a lot of ways that y'all could help us find out um, who we are. Because we're codependent of you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My name is Jonathan. I'm Nathan, and I'm going to miss you. This, Yeah, I'll miss you too. But we will be back uh, before we know it, doing what we do and doing what we do best. Until then, this is... You'll die trying. That's a bit I want to talk.